Today's scripture reading continues in the book of Jonah with the second chapter. But first, let us pray. Merciful God, you promised never to break your covenant with us, never to leave us alone. In the midst of a world that seems to change faster and faster each day, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. Then may we cling to that word with sure and steadfast hope, living as people who have seen the light of your love. Amen. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my, up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. A group of very learned Jewish rabbis, they have an ongoing debate about this text. One half of the group believes Jonah prays from inside the whale. Scripture certainly seems to support this, and most interpreters agree. The other half of the group, they believe Jonah prays from the shore, where he lands after having been spit back out again. They base their argument partly on grammar, saying that some of the verb tenses and word choices in the original Hebrew support their alternative interpretation. But they base much of their argument upon their own experience of being human. They wonder, and reasonably so, who on earth would find themselves on the inside of a whale, surrounded by whatever else is on the inside of a whale, and immediately offer a prayer of thanksgiving. After all, Jonah has been running from God's call since this story began. Go up to Nineveh, God says, but Jonah is intent on doing anything but, and so he goes down to Joppa, where he goes further down into the belly of a, a boat until he's thrown overboard, where he sinks into the water and the waves, 
And then he goes even further still when he lands in the belly of a whale. I have to tell you, if this were the story of Jenny and the whale rather than Jonah and the whale, my prayer would sound quite a bit different. Mine would be a prayer of complaint or a prayer of lament, maybe a prayer of, are you kidding me? Or maybe if it was one of my better days, I could muster something along the lines of, dear God, maybe this is a good time to say I'm sorry. But like our prayer of confession recognized earlier, sometimes we are too much like Jonah, but other times we are not enough like Jonah. Captain Dmitry Kolesnikov, he was a crewman on the Russian submarine, the Kursk. In the year 2000, an accidental explosion rocked that submarine, killing most of the 118 crewmen immediately. 23 of them, though, they survived for a short while. From the belly of the submarine on the bottom of the Barents Sea, Kolesnikov wrote a letter to his wife. None of us can get to the surface. He wrote, and their emergency lighting had gone out, leaving them in darkness. So he wrote, I am writing blindly. Well, he was and he wasn't. He couldn't see what was right in front of his face, but he could see things that were far more important. He could see that he was not defined by being a crewman on a submarine. He was defined by who he loved and who loved him. And so he continued writing this letter to his wife. I hope they find this note, he wrote, so that you can know one more time how I loved you to the end. Last week's scripture reading from Jonah 1 it told us clearly that the word of God came to Jonah. And the word of God never comes just to stop by and say hello. The word of God always comes with a calling. But even before it does that, the word of God claims us. The word of God claims us and marks us as God's own forever. We've been starting to talk about baptism here among our staff. We have some families that are eager to baptize their little ones, and we are exploring how we might best do that safely in these pandemic days. Because ultimately, the truth we proclaim at baptism is not dependent upon where the baptism takes place or how many people are there. The truth of baptism is that we belong to God, and that belongingness, that belongingness is not dependent upon our intelligence or our faith, our accomplishments or our accolades, our good works or our terrible mistakes. One of my preacher friends puts it this way. He says, you belong to God, not because of what's in your heart, but because of the love that lives in God's heart.
Last week, I said that Jonah ran away from the call of God because he knew it was something that would change the course of his life forever. And he wasn't ready for that. He knew that the call of God was not something to be casual about. And I can't help but think as he found himself in the belly of the whale down in the darkest depths, that he knew something else too. That the heart of God is not something to be casual about either because the love it contains is never ever casual about us. I think that's why as Jonah shakes the plankton out of his hair and brushes some seaweed off of his sleeves, that he offers a prayer of thanksgiving. Many of you know that for several years, I was the pastor of pastoral care at Village Presbyterian Church in Kansas. Leaving Village was one of the hardest things I've ever done. The goodbyes were long and drawn out and lovely and heartbreaking. And when that final day came, when I stood before the congregation in worship one last time, a million things ran through my head. I had stories and memories on repeat. I was thinking of contagious laughter and shared heartbreak. I was remembering moments when I got it right and moments when I really got it wrong. And when the time came to say goodbye, the only words big enough to even begin to capture everything that I wanted and needed to say were, thank you. Thank you for letting me love you. And thank you for loving me back. The truth is, though, in that moment, it was easy for me to be grateful. I was looking out on a congregation I loved, and it was a celebration. We were having a party. Jonah is not at a party. He's in the belly of a whale. And I think that's actually where Jonah teaches us the most valuable lesson of this chapter, that even in the belly of shale, even under, even under circumstances in which no one should ever find themselves, Jonah knows he is loved by God. Because there is nowhere that he or we can ever flee from the presence and love of God. God's love for Jonah and God's love for you does not waver, not even for a moment. If you remember nothing else about Jonah, remember that. Because the storms will come and you will find yourself in the belly of a whale at some point, if you haven't already. And when that crisis moment occurs, try with all your might to remember Jonah, who could see and understand so clearly that because he belonged to God, he was not alone in any of it. And again, keep in mind, all of this comes to Jonah while he's still inside the fish. He doesn't know what we know 
that he's about to be spit back out again. The clarity he has about God's love is not dependent upon an outcome. Jonah prays with all his heart in the midst of terrible circumstances. Jonah is grateful in the midst of terrible circumstances because he knows he's not alone. When I lived in New York City, I learned a tremendous amount about 9-11 from people who lived through it. I didn't learn much about the mechanics of it. I learned about the humanity of it. Melissa Doy was in the South Tower of the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. She called 911 in her final moments inside the fiery belly of a falling tower. She called from the 83rd floor where she and five others from her office were trapped. The dispatcher tried to keep her calm and get information. She tried to reassure her, to which Missy replied, there's no one here yet. The floor is entirely engulfed in flames. We can't breathe. It's getting very hot. She stayed on the phone for 24 minutes trying to answer every question possible to share any bit of information that could help them, when finally she asked if the dispatcher could add her mother to the call. She wanted to talk to her one last time. The dispatcher told her apologetically that their phone system could not support a three-way call and that they needed to keep Missy on the line in case some sort of help was still possible. So Missy gave the operator her mother's name and phone number, and she had her write down a message. Later that night, the dispatcher called Missy's mother and passed along her daughter's last words. Tell my mother that I love her and tell her thank you for being the world's best mom. Melissa Harrington Hughes, she was in New York for one day only, just for a meeting. She called her husband, Sean, in San Francisco, who, because of the time change, hadn't woken up yet and didn't get the call. She left him a voicemail that said, I just want you to know I love you. I'm stuck inside this building. The smoke is increasing, and I just want you to know that I love you always. Barry Rooney got through to his wife, Beverly. He told her that he was on the 105th floor and they both knew what that meant. So he just whispered, I love you, I love you, I love you. He whispered it over and over again until the connection died. There are thousands of stories just like these because when people realized what was happening on that morning, they didn't call someone to make sure their work project was taken care of. They didn't call an enemy to get the last word or settle the score. They didn't call a credit card company to pay a bill. They called the people they loved. They called the people they needed to say, I love you, to one last time. My point with all of this is that when these moments come, 
When a crisis comes, when the worst thing we can imagine happening is actually happening, what we remember more clearly than anything else in those moments is who we belong to. What Jonah remembers with every fiber of his being is that he belongs to God, a God who simply refuses to give up on him or leave him alone, despite having good reason to. But Jonah's story reminds us again and again that the grace of God doesn't care a bit about reason. The grace of God cares about the flourishing of every single one of God's children. It is my hope and my prayer that all of us can remember this in the coming weeks. Because while every life does eventually face a storm or a crisis, right now, this relative isolation that a virus is imposing upon us, well, sometimes it feels a little bit like being alone in the belly of a whale with no idea of when we might get out. But we do not need to despair. We do not need to despair of this or of any other circumstance because the single most important thing about you is that you belong to God. And because you belong to God, you are never alone. You are never alone. And there is nothing that can change that. Yes, the word of God calls us, but only after it claims us. And you, you, you are claimed as God's own beloved forever. Thanks be to God. Isn't that the response that comes from such good news? And doesn't that make Jonah's prayer seem more logical when we remember who we are and whose we are. Thanksgiving cannot help but flow forth, even from the depths, even from the belly of a big, stinky fish. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.